listen to me, all my people. Heaven is my throne, and all the earth is my footstool. I'm the head of all the nations. Don't you live in fear of anyone? Cause I still rule. Cause I'm the king of kings. And I'm the lord of lords. And I'm the king of kings. And I'm the lord of lords. Ah, listen to me, all my people. Don't you let your hearts be troubled, but believe in me. I'm the head and you're the body. Soon you'll be my bride, for I will come to set you free. Cause I'm the king of kings, and I'm the lord of lords. Yeah, I'm the king of kings, and I'm the lord of lords. Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue will confess. That I am Lord All my enemies shall fall By the word of my mouth That is my soul All God's children sing for joy All God's children sing for joy God's children sing for joy. Our God's children sing for joy. Cause I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. Yeah, I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue. Well, confess that I am Lord. All my enemies shall fall by the word from my mouth. That is my sword. Our God's children sing for joy. Our God's children. Children sing for joy. Our God's children sing for joy. Cause I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. Yeah, I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. Yeah, I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. King of kings and I'm a lord of lords Hi, good evening everyone. Can you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15 verse 18? Just a touchdown type, uh, Trent. I know it's touchy, but Romans 15, 18 we get, uh, we're going to do verse 20 here this evening. And 
It could go down just a touch. Yeah, we're going to do, uh, we're going to study, that's good. We're going to do Romans 15, 20 this evening. And what we're going to study this evening is that Paul, uh, in this verse, Romans 15, 20, is going to express his ambition was uh, to proclaim Christ in places where he was not known in the Roman Empire so as not to build upon another man's foundation. So we're going to, as, we, as I've been bringing uh, out in the last couple of weeks, Paul is actually starting to give us some insight into his evangelistic ministry. Remember what he did? He was a church planter. He uh, started, for his, he, as we saw last evening, his commission was received in Jerusalem. At, right after his conversion, he was in the temple and he was praying in a trance and the Lord told him, get out of town. They won't accept your testimony here. The Jews won't. So I want, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And he is called the apostle to the Gentiles. And his ministry stretched from Jerusalem, where he got his uh, commission from the Lord Jesus Christ, all the way to the, the outer extremities of the Roman Empire in the first century, which was Illyricum, the Roman province of Illyricum. And as we saw, and we'll continue to see later on in this uh, chapter, is that he says, I want to go to Spain eventually. But first I will, I'll hit Rome to see you people, finally. And then by way of Rome, I'll, I'll get you, I want to get some help from you so I can, financial and, uh, monet- uh, financial help and also material, so I can make the, tr- the evangelistic trip I want to make to Spain. So what we, we see that he was going to hit uh, Spain and by, on the way to Spain he would hit Rome. Eventually he got there as a prisoner of the Roman Empire and, uh, and we saw that uh, in the prison epistles with Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon. He wrote those epistles while he was awaiting his appeal before Caesar. So he did get to Rome. It's recorded in Acts chapter 28. And uh, so Paul, this uh, this chapter of Romans 15, this part of Romans 15 is going to start giving us some more information about Paul and that he was a church planner. So he'd, he'd, hit, he'd hit a certain area, like he would go to the major population centers. As I gave an illustration last evening, he would not stop in a place like uh, Norway, a rural town. What he would do is he'd go to like some place like Des Moines or Iowa City, where there's a big population center, evangelize those cities, and from there, those Christians can evangelize themselves, the regions around them. But he would have to move on to the next uh, uh, major city because he wanted to proclaim Christ throughout the Roman Empire, where he wasn't named. And so this was his ministry. He would plant churches, and after he built the foundation there... There would be pastors in those uh, cities, and then he would send his emissaries like Timothy or Epaphroditus or Tychicus to, or Titus to check on those churches that he had planted. He would write letters to them, uh, illustrated the Corinthian letters, the Galatian letters, and he would uh, check, up on, uh, check, check up on these individuals, these churches that he started, uh, by writing letters and giving them instruction, and, and uh, he would receive letters from them. And we see that with a correspondence between the Corinthians. So uh, this is what Paul did, and we're going to continue the, uh, that study of uh, Paul's ministry in Romans 15 this evening. So without further ado, remember we have our, our prayer meeting right after service, and then we have our deacons meeting as well. So with our, uh, as we normally do, let's take that moment of silent prayer. And, uh, and uh, so we have, uh, I know there are some uh, issues we're going to be addressing in, in, the, uh, in the deacons meeting, so I'm sure you know, there's a lot of issues that maybe people are a little tense about. But let's not think about those things right now. Let's just worry about hearing the Word of God, hearing the Spirit of God here this evening, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll handle everything accordingly, according to the Spirit. So let's uh, take a moment of silent prayer to confess any known sin to the Father if necessary, and maintain that we get maintain that fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the, to the Spirit who speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God, and we're to cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for us. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, 
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you, Father, for gracing us out and treating us all in a manner that we don't deserve. We all know that we have no merit with you, Father, and that we're saved by your grace through faith in your Son. We know that it's the object of our faith, your Son, Jesus Christ, that has justified us. And we just thank you, Father, for all the benefits of our so great salvation. We thank you for every spiritual blessing that you've given to us because of our union and identification with your Son. We thank you not only for the fact that you indwell our souls, but also the Son and the Spirit. And we just thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit and guiding us us and directing us. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us in this ministry, all of us, that you would help us to continue to grow in love toward you and each other. And we just pray, Father, also for uh, the service this evening and also all that will be going on on after with the prayer meeting and also the deacons meeting. We pray that you would... Uh, guide and direct all those who are taking part in those things. And we just pray, Father, that you would help those here this evening in the audience to concentrate, help them to uh, understand and apply that that which they'll be hearing this evening through the study of the Word of God. We also pray that you would give grace to the communicator, empower him to deliver your full counsel in a fashion that would minister to your people and bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that as a result of this Bible class, all of us here would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his precious name we pray. Amen. All right, this evening, as I noted earlier, we're going to study Romans fifteen twenty, And Paul writes in this passage that his ambition in life was to proclaim Christ and places of the Roman Empire that did not know Christ so as not to build upon another man's foundation. Now, when he talks about the world, the, the known world at that time, he's talking about the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean world. He wasn't thinking about China. That came, that, that eventually the gospel got into China later on. But he was trying to get uh, as much done before the Lord took him home as he could in life to evangelize as many regions of the Roman Empire, as many uh, provinces that he could before it was time for him to go home. And it's quite amazing as, we, as we're starting to see in Romans 15, Paul's coming to, he recognizes the fact that he is coming to an end of, his, of a particular phase of his ministry. He has actually completed everything he, God had, the Lord Jesus Christ had commissioned him to do to proclaim the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. He did that. He went to the Gentiles. He did that amazingly. And now he's talking about going to Spain and going to the further, going as west as he possibly could to Spain and, uh, and go hit Rome on the way over there. So he knows he's coming toward the end of uh, the second phase and last phase of his ministry as he's relating here to uh, the Roman believers. He wrote this epistle, remember, in our introduction, from Corinth in 57 AD. And so Paul, remember, he's writing this epistle. He's trying to uh, uh, get the Roman believers to understand who he is and what he is about, what his gospel is, to inform him, inform them of his travel plans and then his future plans because he wants them to take part 
uh, to take part in his evangelistic journey to Spain. So he's going to solicit their help when he's there because he wants to hit Spain. That's one of his goals. And church history is kind of vague whether he got there. I believe he did. But uh, it's really inconsequential because what we really want to find out here about Paul is that his great he had a great uh, drive to preach Christ throughout the Roman Empire. Paul teaches us the, that what we should be as a ministry. We, you know, eventually we need to reach, have, we have kind of a missionary outreach with the books and the website. You know, we got a, a Nigerian Southern, what is it, Nigerian Baptist Theological Seminary that gets our materials, people in Africa, the Philippines. So we kind of have a missionary thing there, but we really in the future need to have, eventually God will raise up individuals who we can uh, associate with that agree with us doctrinally that we can send out as missionaries. See, churches do that. This is what the, the, the Christian churches uh, founded on was missionary activity. And so this is what Paul is conveying to us, his great ambition to tell people about Jesus Christ. And that's the goal, the, that's the goal of the church uh, from, uh, from the standpoint of the unbeliever. As individuals, we're royal ambassadors, and we're to, as individuals and as a corporate unit, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to not only here in Iowa, but also throughout this country and the world. And I believe that we have done that, I know a lot of people have talked about Christ to people in this periphery. And we've also done it through the website and the books and the publications. So we are doing that. So the, this is something that uh, we need to be aware of, that our goal is to, is to get this gospel out throughout the world. Now look at Romans fifteen eighteen. He says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. In the power of signs, he says, in wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, <coughs> excuse me, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And then he says in verse 20, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. It's not because he was arrogant or he was pompous. He just wanted to reach as many places as he could with the gospel. He didn't want to, he didn't want to repeat another man's work. So he says in verse 20, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named or known, known, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Now that verse, verse 20, before we hit it, I want to show you what he says when he says, I fully preached the gospel. Don't miss that in verse 19, the purpose clause. He says, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully or fulfilled my ministry to preach the gospel of Christ. He was already done with it at that point in his life. This is 57 AD. So this is a big crossroads in the life of the Apostle Paul. He is going to, as we're going to see later on in the chapter, he's going to tell us, I'm delivering a gift, a gift of, a, gift of mon a monetary gift to, from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. I'm going to deliver it to the poor in Jerusalem. And I, I want your prayers, Roman believers, because I want them to accept it as a token of our solidarity between the Jew and Gentile believers. And as we saw when he got to that city, and we saw it last night, he was attacked. He, he delivered the gift, that one great, but of course they arrested him as, as he, they accused him of bringing a, a, a Gentile into the Jewish section of the temple, and that's eventually, that's the way, as a prisoner of the Roman government, he ended up in Rome. So look at this, look at the, on the map on the board, I, I know I didn't put it in my notes, this is the map from last evening, but notice the, the, the actual, we, we, we did a, we measured it, I measured it here with this program, the Logos program, and I can calculate the miles here. 
that he did. So if you take Jerusalem here, now he's not talking about, if you go a straight shot across the Mediterranean and you go up to Illyricum here, which is in the north, northeast above uh, Italy, we see that he traveled at least 1,400 miles. It's pretty much the same, it's almost the same distance that uh, from Fall River, Massachusetts to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you look at the map, it's kind of funny. Not that I'm comparing myself to Paul, trust me. But what I'm seeing here, saying here is that look what he has to do. He goes to Jerusalem, that's where he got his commission, and then he's going up north. He went into Antioch, Syria. He goes all the way through all these particular regions, these uh, capitals. All these Roman provinces, Macedonia, that's where the Philippians were, Achaia, which is south there, that's where the Corinthians were, the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and then he go, he went all the way up, he went all the way up to Illyricum, which was at that time in the first century, the extremities of the Roman Empire. This was, it would be like, uh, it would like be one of us going to Alaska or something like that. But this is what Paul did. Now, as we saw last evening, uh, he went circuitously. He, what he did is he went to uh, back and forth. He just didn't go a straight shot. He was going back and forth. He would start a church, go back there, write a letter or something. But he would try, he'd skip around and go to the different population centers, go on, evangelize, get the church established, and then move on. Because he had a, his desire, as he's saying here in verse 20, is to pre- preach the gospel Everywhere where Christ was not known. I'm not going to waste my time. Uh, let's say, for instance, I'll give you an analogy. Let's say in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, there's a ch- the churches are already established there. Well, Paul would skip right over Cedar Rapids if there was already churches established there. He's not going to waste his time there. He's going to go to a region where they, where there are heathens and they have no, they have no idea who Christ is. And I'm talking about they have no idea that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and that he, through faith in him, Faith alone and Christ alone, you can receive eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. See, Paul, that's his ambition. That's what Paul wanted to do. Paul lived his life with a sense of urgency. He lived his life with a sense of urgency and drive. He leaves us a great example to follow. We only have a few, few times, few, few moments on this earth and it's over people. It, we, you know, the rapture could come at any time. Our death could come at any time. We don't have much time. We got to be about the Lord's business. It's serious business. We have to be about the Lord's business and the Lord's business alone. Because that's why we've been left on the earth. To grow to spiritual maturity, glorify God, and get the gospel to the unsaved. Tell Christians about the word of God and their importance of the word of God that goes to spiritual maturity. This is why we're here. This is why God has left me here. This is why God has left all of you here. This is why we are here. We have a purpose. We are to fulfill that purpose. But we have to live with a sense of urgency. You know, uh, let me give you an example, a sports analogy. I'm sorry if you're not a sports fan. But last night, the Lakers and the Celtics played. Now, the Celtics are up three and three to two. All they have to do is win one game. Well, they go into L.A. last night. And, of course, L.A. needs the game. The Celtics know that they can lose this one, and we still got tomorrow, game seven. Well, they, who played with the most sense of urgency? The Lakers did. Who won the ball game? The Lakers did. They crunched the Celtics. Why? Because they played with a sense of urgency. They weren't lackadaisical like the Celtics were. They weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, they, the Celtics took it for granted. The Celtics were just like that. They, they, they blew the game. And that's, God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to live with our lives with a sense of urgency as individuals and as a church. We studied that uh, with the individual walk with God in Romans 13, 11 through 14. 
And now we're seeing Paul is giving us an example to follow. The example for evangelists and pastors to follow. Examples of churches who are supporting the teaching of the word of God. That is why we're put on this earth. We need to follow Paul's, Paul's example. And if we're doing it, we have to continue doing that. Now verse 20, if you look at verse 20, he says, And thus, I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So that verse advances upon and it intensifies the two preceding statements in verses 18 and 19. What did he tell us in verses 18 and 19, which we just read? Paul is describing the manner in which he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum, namely, with Christ working through him by word and action, by means of the power of the Spirit, which produced miracles by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 20, Paul's going to advance upon those statements in verses 18 and 19. He's going to intensify him. To intensify them. He's going to clarify. He's going to be specific what he means. He's going to specify what he means in verses 18 and 19 that he proclaimed Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum with uh, Christ working through him by the word and deed, miracles and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to clarify for his readers that he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum but only in those places where Christ was already named, so as not to build on another man's foundation. Look at the verse. Look at verse 20. He says, and thus, the word thus there is the relative adverb of manner, os, and uh, what we see here with this word, it refers to the preceding statements in verses 18 and 19. So when you see the word thus, he's talking about a manner in which he did something. He's talking about the preceding statements in verses 18 and 19, which describe the manner in which Paul proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. How did Paul do that? How could a man travel those men that many miles? I mean, I told you the calculation, it's probably 1,400 miles, but he probably did more than that. And he was on foot, he went on horseback, undoubtedly, donkey, whatever way he, a cart, dragon, whatever he had to do to go places. He didn't have the luxuries of modern travel. He didn't have the, the elaborate uh, highway systems that we have. He didn't have jets or planes or bicycles. The Roman roads were great, but they were nothing compared to what we have in the 21st century in America. How did he do that? We studied on Sunday. We saw on Sunday all the suffering this poor guy went through. He was persecuted. He was run out of town. He was whipped by his own people, the Jews. They scourged him. They t- I mean, they took the skin off his back a number of times. If he walked in the church today, you would n- people would be turned off by him because he was an ex-con and he was full, to, full of scars. You'd probably be scared to death of the guy. And he was suffered so much. How could one man do that? The power of the Spirit. That's how he did it. His love for the Lord. And his, the love for the Lord will make you do anything. Will make you do great things. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at the spirit working through that guy. How could he do that? He must have done at least 3,000 miles in his career. It's probably more. Who knows? But so this word thus there is talking about the manner. It's referring to the preceding statements in verses 18 and 19, which describe the manner in which Paul proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So Paul is saying with this word that he aspired to proclaim the gospel in this manner, namely with the Lord working through him by word and deed, by the power which produced miracles, by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I aspired. Uh, That word, the verb there, it's it's in the participle form, and it's the word philotima, oh man, 
And this word, it means I aspired. It actually means this. It means to make something one's ambition in the sense of having a desire to achieve a particular goal. So this indicates to us that Paul had as his own ambition to proclaim the gospel only in those places where Christ was not named so that he wouldn't build on another man's foundation. Rhetorical question. What is your ambition in life? What is your ambition in life? What do you seek to accomplish? Is your ambitions what God has for you or is your ambition something else? Hey, we all, we all have crossroads that we have to make in life. We have to face. I have, you have, we'll continue to reach them. And then we have, we have crossroads that God gives us and he gives us choices. Are we going to go, we're going to follow him or we're going to get deviated from the right path? He wants us to follow after him. He wants our ambition in life to preach Christ, to become like Christ and tell others about him. That's Paul's ambition. That was Paul's ambition to go to places where nobody ever heard of Christ. So his ambition was to reach everybody about the Savior Jesus Christ. Everybody. This is what this word aspire means. Look at verse 20 again. He says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel. This word to preach is the word evangelizo. And it means to proclaim the good news. And it's used with Paul as its subject. Uh, uh, the, the noun form of this verb, of this verb, and the verb itself, they were, they were used by the Greeks, they were used by the Romans, and they would use the word, the Christians took it and elevated it. And they elevated it because the message that the Christian had was superior to what the Romans and the Greeks had. When a Roman victory took place on the battlefield, they would proclaim it throughout the different cities of the Roman Empire. They would send runners. They would announce it in Rome that Caesar had conquered Gaul or he did something, some great exploit or Pompey, one of the other great generals in Roman's history or Titus or Vespasian. They, they conquered Judea. They destroyed Jerusalem. And they would say, this is the good news. Jeru- Judea, Jerusalem is Rome's. And they would also use the word they would also use the word of the of emperor's birthday. The good news, the emperor, who was considered a god, the emperor cult, they proclaimed the Roman emperors as gods. And these, these, they would use this word, evangelizo, in its noun form as well, in relation to this good news. Well, the Christians took it and they elevated it. The good news for this unsaved is that through faith alone and Christ alone, you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. We take that for granted, don't we? That's good news. Not the, not the, the good news is not that you're going to go to the lake of fire. Tell me something that's going to save me from the lake of fire. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and through faith in him you have, this, you have eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. The good news for the Christian is that you're already delivered. You've been freed. I've been freed. And oh, we can walk right out of the prison cell. We can experience our freedom now from sin, Satan, the cosmic system, through faith in what the word of God says, where crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. All that was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ and the session of Christ. That's good news for us. It's happy news. We have the message that nobody can beat. Islam doesn't have this message. They don't have this message. The Christian has this message. We are the only ones that give hope to the world. We're the only ones that give hope to the world. Think about that for a second. That is amazing. We have the greatest message of all time. We got the answers to all of our social problems in our country. 
That's why I get, I just sit there and I laugh sometimes. I get emails from people, you know, they're talking about the political stuff. It's like, you know, you just don't get it. It's like, you know, I guess they just have to grow up a little bit. But it's like, come on. You know, politics is not going to solve this country's problems or the world's social problems. The problem with the country is sin. The problem with the country is the devil's world we live in. The problem with the country is selfishness and self-centeredness. That's the, that's the sin nature. But we get the message that can save people from that. That's the, the you know, it doesn't, you don't, you don't uh, spread Christianity by marching around abortion clinics and condemning a woman for trying to get an abortion. Not that I agree with abortion, but you're missing the point. You're overlooking the true issue. She needs help from sin. She needs help from sin, and we got the good news. There's someone who's, the person who's an alcoholic, the person who's a drug addict, or an AIDS patient, or a homosexual, they need the gospel. They need the gospel too, because the, the reason why they're a homosexual is sin, the sin nature. The reason why they're a homosexual and a lesbian is sin, and that they're deceived by the devil. It's like Jonah, when we're going to do the book of Jonah. Jonah? He didn't want to go to those guys. The Assyrians were butchers. They made Hitler's Germany look tame. These people were butchers. And God says, I want you to go over there and give them the, and tell them that they're gonna, they're gonna go, I'm gonna judge them. And they repented. They changed their attitude. They repented. They changed their conduct. And God God said, I'm not gonna destroy them. And, and Jonah was so upset. He was gonna, he was so angry at God. And Jonah didn't get it. God says, these people, you wanted me to destroy them, and they don't know their right hand from their left. They're stupid. They're deceived. They're sinners. And you wanted me to destroy them? You need to give the good news. That's what we need. So this word Paul uses is talking about this good news, the greatest message in the history of the world, the message that can solve the problems that the world has because all the problems of the world, social, political, economic are all tied to sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. And we get the message that can deliver it from people. And the devil is not sitting in the bars. The devil is in the churches. I, I, Titus, remember, I had that, I think I had that two weeks ago, I said, and I've said it before, the, the devil's tr- in the churches trying to rip them all up. That's what he wants to do. He could care less about the person down at the bar. They're in their back pocket. He wants to take out pastors. He wants to take out anybody who is trying to help him get the gospel. He wants to slay them all. And if he would, if he could, he could, if, he, if God allowed him, he would do it. He would kill everybody. I'm, I'm so convinced now of it. I'm totally convinced that when I had my car accident, I know the devil wanted me dead. And I'm like, well, thanks for the compliment. He definitely wanted me dead. And there's other things that absolutely you've got to understand. Our enemy is not each other or human beings, the unsaved. It's the devil. Six, Ephesians 6.12. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his minions. So we got the good news for everybody to hear that the good news that you can be delivered through faith in Christ. The greatest message in the world. What an honor we've been given. The middle voice of this word, this verb, philotomeoma, is an indirect middle. It indicates that it was Paul's own continual ambition to proclaim the gospel where Christ was never named 
so that he would not build upon another man's foundation. And then we have the phrase, if you look at verse 20, he says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. Uh, the phrase, not where Christ was named, is several words. We have the emphatic negative adverb, u, and then we have the adverb of place, opu, and then we have the word Christos, and then onima, onimazo, and ononomaz. Onomazo, excuse me, I'm getting uh, my little Italian there and there. So this word, Christos, it signifies that aspect of the person of Jesus Christ that designates the fact that he's the savior of the world. Christ talks about his saviorhood. Lord talks about his deity and his sovereignty. Jesus is his, it emphasizes that he's a human being as well as being the son of God. So this word Christos designates the humanity of Jesus Christ as the promised Savior of all mankind, who is unique as the incarnate Son of God, guided and empowered by the Spirit as the servant of the Father. How do you know all that with this one word, Bill? Because I study what the word is. I study where it came from, the etymology of the word. It talked, it was used of, used of somebody smearing oil on somebody. In Old Testament Israel, when they did that, like they did it to like King David or something, or Saul, the, the prophet would smear the oil on him, and that meant the spirit was with him. The oil symbolized that the spirit was with this man, King David, or if King Saul, or one of the kings. It anointed him. The word anointed, is that's what this word is coming from. It talks about, and the spirit is, the oil symbolized the spirit, and Jesus was filled with the spirit perpetually. He is the son of God. So this word is talking about his saviorhood. And onimazo means the cause to be made known, and it's used with Christ as its subject. And the verb's meaning is emphatically negated by the emphatic negative adverb, u, which is used to deny the reality of an alleged fact. Now, here it emphatically negates the idea of Christ being known in certain parts of the Roman Empire. The adverb of place, uh, opu, denotes unidentified geographical regions of the Roman Empire in which the inhabitants of these regions did not know of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and that by trusting in him, they can receive eternal life. It was dangerous to go into these parts of the world. These people were heathen. Some of these people, like the Colossians, were drinking blood out of skulls. In fact, my, my aunt's ancient ancestors, I mean, I love people who say when they believe in reincarnation, they were always somebody in another life. They were always like, you know, a Napoleon or something, a Caesar. They were never some heathen that drank blood out of a skull and was a, you know, a decadent individual. Well, my, my ancestors, the, my mother's Irish, my father's, you know, French Canadian, he's got Swedish there. We got a lot of stuff. We, we're mongrels. We got a lot of junk going on in, in our history. I hate to look back at it. But these people, these are the people Paul would evangelize. He would go into places like this, Macedonia. He would go into Achaia. He would go into these regions that could be very, very violent and very, very dangerous. But he was fearless. He was afraid of no man. And the reason why he was afraid of no man is because he knew God was with him. You can't do anything in life as a Christian if you don't realize that God's with you. If you know that God's with you, it can give you great boldness of speech a sense of urgency, a sense of a drive and a, and a conviction that can't be found anywhere else. It only comes from God. Now look at verse 20. He says, we're coming to the end here. He says in Romans 15, 20, And thus he said, I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named or known. And then here's the purpose clause. So that I would not build on another man's foundation. 
That phrase there, so that I will not build on another man's foundation, is a purpose clause indicating Paul's purpose for, pro- for proclaiming the gospel throughout the Roman Empire where Christ was never known. I would not build as the negative particle me, and then with it we have the word ekothomeo. And this word means I would build. Now, then we have also the phrase on another man's foundation. That's a prepositional phrase as well. Uh, epi we have, and then we have the accusative form of the adjective uh, alotrios, and that translated correctly, another man's. And then we have the accusative form of the word themelios. And themelios means foundation. It's an excellent, excellent word. Ecothomi, that word means to build, and it's used in a figurative sense of describing the work of communicating the gospel. See, Paul was a builder. He's a builder. That's what he did. He laid a foundation. When you do a building, you lay a foundation, right? You lay a foundation, and then you build upon it. And that's what Paul did. He was a builder. In fact, if you think about it, pastors are builders. You're a builder. If you proclaim the gospel to somebody, an unsaved person, and they believe in it, you've just laid down a foundation in the life of somebody. A godly foundation. See, Paul was a builder. He was a spiritual builder. And the Holy Spirit, is both Jew and Gentiles, God is building into a spiritual house. I want to hold your place. Let me show you that. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. God's building a spiritual house composed of both Jew and Gentile believers. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, speaking to Ephesian believers, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you, and he's referring again to Gentile believers in Ephesus, you were at that time, prior to salvation, separate from Christ. So that's us. That's what we were prior to being Christians. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He made both groups, Jew and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That gift that Paul's going to deliver from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the poor Jerusalem saints is a token of that solidarity. This was important to Paul. They had race relation problems in the first century church. The Jews mistrusted the Gentiles, and Paul wanted to have peace between the two. And he said to the he had he said, I have a great idea, you you Gentile believers in Achaia and Macedonia. Here, do a gift for these people. Put together some money, and we're going to bring it over to Jerusalem, those poor people in Jerusalem, and we'll, as a token of our love and grace and our appreciation for them, we're going to give them that gift. And that's going to give us solidarity. That's going to give us unity. That's what I pray that it will do. That it will soften the hearts of those Jewish believers in Jerusalem who have doubts about you Gentile believers. See, that was a problem in the first century that Paul was having. So this is a phenomenal passage right here that we're reading about. Look at verse 15. He says, By abolishing in his flesh, Christ did, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God, through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. 
And he came and preached peace to those who were far away. That's us, the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you, and it's true of us too, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built, spiritual building, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What does that mean? It's talking about their teaching that's now in the New Testament that we're reading. That's the foundation of the church is the apostles' teaching. And who's the chief cornerstone? Look what he says. And Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Look at uh, Matthew. Chapter 7, Jesus talks about building, building upon his words. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse 1. I want to pick it up in context. Actually, what I want to show you is what he says in verses 24 and 25 and, and, and further. But to understand what he means, you've got to listen to what he says in the first uh, several verses, the first 23 verses. Look at ver- uh, Roman, uh, Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly, he says, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine and they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So if somebody's antagonistic to the gospel, what are you wasting your time with them? Don't give your pearls to swine. Look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. That's prayer. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Maybe t- many times we don't get what we, uh, the, the, all the best that God has because we don't ask. And that's in the, it's in the actually, the, the present tense is, talks about a repetitious action. Ask repeatedly, it says, and it will be given to you. Seek repeatedly and you will find. Knock repeatedly and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks will be open. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil, (laughs) of that, Jesus didn't mince any words. He called a spade a spade. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the way you'd want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad, and that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are wolves. You will know them by their fruits, their teaching. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, but nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And in your name perform many miracles? These are for the faith healers or the fake healers. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now look what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall. Why? For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act in them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, and that's adversity, and, the sl- and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now go back to Romans fifteen twenty. So Paul says in Romans fifteen twenty, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So, we see that the word ekothomi, which means to build, is used in a figurative sense describing the work of communicating the gospel. That's what Paul did. The word's meaning is negated by the negative particle me. It denies the idea of Paul communicating the gospel in an area already evangelized by another. Now, the man who... Uh, Robert Mounts, who does a commentary on the book of Romans on page, volume 27, page 268, he says the following, and I'm quoting from him, Paul would rather not build on foundations laid by others. That was not because of some peculiar pride that would encourage him to go go at it on his own, but because of his intense desire to reach the known world as quickly as possible. End of quote. Now the word foundation, themelios, it's used here in a figurative sense of the elementary beginnings or founding of a Christian community built by those evangelists that communicated the gospel to its founding members. The adjective elotrios means another's and it's used here to referring to a ministry which belongs to another person and it's modifying and describing the noun themilios, foundation. So to summarize what we have here, if you look at Romans 15, 20, we'll close. He says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named or known, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So to summarize our findings from this verse, we see that this statement advances and intensifies and clarifies for the reader Paul's statements in verses 18 and 19, that he proclaimed Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum with Christ working through him by word and deed, miracles and by the power of the Spirit. He wants to clarify for his readers that he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, but only in those places where Christ was already known so not to build on another man's foundation. Now, what he's saying here in this verse is similar to his statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. One more verse. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, 1, and we'll close. I said that 20 minutes ago, didn't you? Well, that, I got that trick from Bob Thiem and current Bob uh, McLaughlin. I learned that trick a long time ago. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1. 
And actually, we learned it from Paul because in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, finally, in Philippians 3, 1, he doesn't close for another, another chapter. <laughs> He's long-winded like I was, I suppose, like most pastors. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Excuse me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men, uh, men of flesh, so as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. He didn't get him, give him in-depth de- in uh, uh, teaching of the Word of God because they couldn't handle it. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. For you are still fleshly, driven by the sin nature. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, that's a manifestation of it, you are, not, are you not fleshly and are you not walking in life as mere men? For when one says, I am of a Paul and another I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. It's all about God. But God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So those of us who have communicated the gospel and communicated the word of God, that's what he's talking about. Each one will get his own reward at the Bema seat for what he's done, his labor. Look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers... And you are God's field, and I love this, like he said in Ephesians, you're God's building. That's you and me, Christian believers, and the Lord, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're God's building. According, if this is all according to grace, we don't earn it or deserve it, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, he says, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. See, he built foundations and somebody else did the rest of the house. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here this evening. And we pray that the Spirit would guide us and direct us, uh, in the, uh, would give us insight and understanding into the passages and principles that we've noted here this evening. We pray that this message would encourage us, uh, instruct us and uh, in righteousness, rebuke us if necessary. And we just pray, Father, that you would be glorified and your people would be built up and edified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We'll take a few minute break and then we'll, a couple minute break and then we'll